super excited to have Cindy, my colleague, with me on the podcast. You have this approach, Cindy. I've been impressed with how you've laid out this idea of helping educate the market about Shockwave and your discipline when it comes to growing slow. <laughs> my, <laughs> my discipline. The world needs discipline, Joe. Assistance and discipline. Talk about some of the challenges with that from your perspective. If we put this modality in the wrong places it, and it's not used well, it creates a bad name for shockwave in general. Yeah. And that is what I think we've seen happen in lasers. Lasers are a great modality, but in the vet world, if somebody who is not accurate with driving the laser and the client gets no results, yeah. then they go on to a very high-end rehab specialist and they say, well, I don't want you to use laser on my pet because we tried that. Right, right. So it's that fear of getting you know, the optimal results every time we turn the machine on. Love that. I mean, so I got to back up then because that's not a common sales and marketing <laughs> <laughs> mindset. So, so could we discuss how you ended up in this lovely world of Focus Shockwave and working with us now? Well, for one thing, we can try to take the sales world, the sales word uh -huh. out, because oh, I am wow, scared of sales. I'm actually terrified of that word. Hey, everybody sells something. Can we just, can we touch that for a second? We're all selling something here, right? At some point. We all. are. Okay. We are. Okay. I agree. But sales got abused. That term sales got abused. Yes. And there's too many people out there who don't want to take care of the backside. Yep. And are only interested in placing whatever modality or whatever they're selling in the, in the hands of a person, they receive a check, mm -hmm. they receive their revenue, and they're out the door. Yeah. And we all know it doesn't work. Mm -hmm. So why, do I, why am I so adamant about optimal therapy? I grew up riding horses. Mm -hmm. I was riding before I was born. So I've always had vets take care of my horses. And even from the age of 16 years old, I was responsible for paying the bills on my horses. Wow. So, my grandmother would meet with me once a month and give me a check. And then it was my responsibility to cover all the expenses for that month for that horse. So if I have had a vet come in, the first thing I think is, oh my Lord, this is going to be expensive. You know, I'm not going to go to a horse show this, you know, this month or this week because we're going to have to spend this kind of money on X, Y, or Z. And, and I've been a vet tech and too often they come in, the techs are in a hurry, and especially with the modality, they don't, if they don't use it properly, I'm paying a lot of money, and I'm still doing that for my dogs, right. you know? I, I'm paying money for my dogs to get acupunctured. I'm, if it's not, and lasered right now, because I no longer own a laser, but I, have, I sit there and watch. Really? <laughs> oh yeah, myself or my partner, because, you know, what happens behind closed doors is not always, I'm not trust, trustworthy of it, yeah. you know. And I've seen horses get shockwaved, and I bought a thousand pulses on an electrohydraulic shockwave for a lot of money. And the horse is moving, or the technician's having a bad day with positioning or whatever. And I paid for a thousand pulses, and the horse might have gotten 200 effective pulses. Oh. You know, because horses move, dogs move, animals move. It's not as simple as with people. 
Yeah, I mean, people definitely have their challenges, but I love the fact that it's a pain point for you, not wanting to see the people that are going to apply these therapies waste that technology, waste the, waste the person's money, waste the, waste the end user's money. Right. I think that's a great place to come from, and it makes a lot more sense why you want to promote and push, hey, let's make sure that every client knows how to maximize these different devices. There's a big opportunity with a lot of companies that really take on this standpoint of not just let's keep the sale, but let's make sure our customers and clients are winning. I think it's becoming more and more evident as bigger companies get bigger and lose track of their customers. The smaller companies are filling a niche yeah. that, that is needed. So that's super important. I mean, I also spent four years in graduate school and three years doing a postdoc on bio, with a biochemistry. And for that, it was all about education and specifics. So when I was asked to come into a quote, sales position seven years ago for another product, they said, I told them, I'm timid, I'm shy, I'm not an extrovert. How am I going to sell this machine? And they said, well, you're not. You're going to stand there and educate everybody. That's right. And so that's, you know, the only, in my mind, that's the, where I have to keep my brain because I don't want to be sold anything. I want what I need for a reason. I love that. Yeah, you're absolutely right. I mean, I make a lot of fun about sales, but the best sales strategy is educating the people to make the best choice for them. If it happens to be your part, phenomenal, you know, but uh, sometimes it might not be, depending on what they're trying to accomplish. When you look at where small businesses are, and I think about how private equity has had such a big play in your industry, especially mm -hmm. in the vet world. I mean, uh, can you speak to that and maybe kind of what's happening in the space? I'm sure you've maybe seen some things over the, over the years. So, you know, everybody's going corporate. Yeah. Whether it's veterinary practices or whether it's veterinary companies that are selling into the marketplace. And in that means, um, they're looking to do a lot fast with the private equity investments, you know, they throw billions and billions of dollars into a product in a short time. Oh. Then the question is, are they going to get that equity out of it? Right. Um, and I actually was talking to who used to work in the equ private equity market, and she said, you know, when these big investors come in, they really only expect one out of every four or five or six investments to play out. Right. So you get these two-year, two to four-year surges, mm -hmm. but where they go after that, you know, is is unknown, yeah. and off, often they're just trying to get bigger to sell to get bigger to sell, and um, that's. I guess I'm too old for that mentality. <laughs> My mentality is just, you know, no, do it well, do what you can do well. Yeah. You know. Um, I'm not looking, I'm never going to be a millionaire. There you go. <laughs> Cindy, there's a lot of paths to a million. I mean, but you, but you know, honestly, though, I, there, there's a lot to be said with that because um, that's the name of the game for a lot of people, right? It's the buy a company, one out of four will work, and we'll go with that one. And what I think a lot of healthcare providers need to be thinking about, a lot of veterinarians especially, is that you'll see a lot of a huge marketing surge. And you're like, oh, I see it everywhere. And I have my clients call me up and say, hey, I see this. How come you guys don't do this? I'm like, yeah, but let's just see where this goes over the next three to six to 18 months, right? Because normally, and I won't name any names on the human side, but we've seen some drop-offs. Yeah. Like it's a huge push and then it's a flat line. I'm not saying they're bad products or not, but they went so hot out the gate. 
that they didn't find exactly how they can best serve the market. So I think that's pretty common. Yeah, and that's that's my that's why I just want to go slow and make sure my clients are taken care of. You know, it, it's also a balance of expenditures. Yeah. You know, you can't spend more than you make. <laughs> I mean, we would all like to, but in the Sounds long amazing. run, it's not going to work. Yeah. So for me, it's a it's a huge balance. You know, of of where we go, what we do. You know, because if I do something that is not productive. It's going to cost in the long run. Yeah. You know, so, and, and it's, it's a learning experience. So every place you go, every event you do, every time you make a change, then you have to step back and say, was that right or wrong? Right. And yeah, I, I will admit there's a, a couple of shows that I might have said, oh, God, I really want to go to. And they turned out not to be as profitable as I wanted them to be. Yeah. So you take them off the schedule next year. You right. Know? I think being flexible is another. I mean, that's the beauty of being small, though, right? Yeah. Because we can stay nimble. But with that being nimble, I think that there's um, it needs to be a consideration that you got to have some courage. you got to take some risk. You can't just sit back and just think that the way that we've always done it is the best way for, you know, this this year and then years going forward. Yeah, I mean, I think the biggest risk we take is making mistakes. we got to take, but we're going to make mistakes. Yeah, yeah. You know, I, I, it, you're not, I think there was a really good, actually, on a canine vet summit last Saturday and she said if you're not making the risk taking the risk to do something wrong mm -hmm. you're not stretching your boundaries to grow that's right that's right so you know you, you to be able to walk away from you know a conversation um, reflect on it and say wow I think I said something that maybe we should change next time right right you know yeah and I too much we're we're running and we're tired and we don't have the time to do that or make the time to do that. Are you talking about me in particular? It's so like a directed <laughs> conversation. No, no, <laughs> I do it too. I get tired. I get tired. You know, I get tired. Yeah, but, um, but, but you know, I think it's it's a part of it though. I think that the risk taking, but the measuring to see what is working and doubling down those and being okay to eliminate the others, I think is really important. I want to hear from you because you're taking some, you've done some good experiments this year, I would say. What's working from the educational front? Like, are there, is it more in person? Is, is that mandatory or is the online portal? Is that doing great? I just kind of talk about how you, maybe you might I, best advise docs to kind of learn more. I think you have to have many options hmm. because everybody learns differently. Yeah. You know, I will have vets who purchase a machine and they will go use my online content and do a Zoom meeting and not, and be thrilled and do really, really well with it. And I'll have other groups that like, they're like, you need to come sit with us for a morning or an afternoon, and not an hour, Yeah. a morning or an afternoon. Hmm. Um, and I have some vets that I have tried to communicate with and they don't communicate back. And I have others like this morning, Dr. Babette was you know, asking protocols, Yeah. you know, and that's fine, I'm here, you know. Yeah. I text her back or call her when I can. I think you have to be open to all the options. That's good, too. There's not one right or wrong. Yeah. Just like using the machine, there's not one right or wrong. Yeah. And we all want that cookbook, though, right? We're looking for that. We're looking for the silver bullet. Come on. There is no... Solve it all. <laughs> I learned that in graduate school. There's, there is no silver bullet. Yeah. It's yeah. just patience, persistent, and keep 
slow, getting better. I think the podcast I watch every morning is 1% better every day. That's the name of an actual podcast? 1% no, it's better? the Noodleberg Daily Huddle. I, say, I might need to take that, actually. That's a good, it, good it's a really good. Uh, it's a really good podcast. So when it comes to your own personal education, mm-hmm. your podcast, I mean, you, you like podcasts. We, we talk about a couple shows and that you, that you consume, like Jocko is one of your... <laughs> yeah, I listen, yeah, I listen to different things when I'm at the gym. Yeah. Because I get really bored. Um, and, and that's just, that's just the way my brain works. So I listened to this Florida podcast because I used to be in Florida, the Noodleberg Daily Huddle. Okay. And it's all about a community and learning and getting 1% better, um, which I listen to. I try to listen to it daily because it's, it's very upbeat and motivational. Yeah. Um, and then when I'm grinding at the gym <laughs> and not sure I can make it or I'm just totally aggravated, I listen to Jaco. <laughs> It's funny because I didn't know you were into all the hustle culture. It's, You're into all the rah rah, like hey. No, yeah. no, just <laughs> I the way my brain works. Yes. I need to focus on something. Yeah. So I'm also trying to get my finish my CCAT. So that's when I'm at the gym. I listen to all the canine anatomy and therapy lectures for that course. So you know I'm gonna make a few hours a day for myself. But those hours of a day are usually educating myself in some way. Yeah. I mean, and even when I'm riding a horse, 90% of the time I'm pondering some situation I have to deal with. You still ride often? I just started riding a lot again. That's good. Just recently. That's good. I, I, I adopted a new horse. Did you? I did. How old? He's eight. Okay, nice. nice. He's eight. So... Um, that just happened, but it, it's just taking enough, you know, everybody's like, oh, you're into your biohacking and, yeah. and taking care of yourself. There's not enough time to do everything. Yeah. Um, and so I do a lot of my brain work when I'm exercising or playing with my horses. That's, that's, I think adults should play more. It's a great way to kind of like de-stress and, I mean, seriously, it's, <laughs> and it sounds kind of silly. I saw this, uh, adult, uh, hat meal. Which I think is pushing the limits, but 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 still. No, I've never been, I've never been in one of those no gravity pods or any of that yeah, stuff. You haven't been there yet. No, no, no. Oh, no. so you're I missing out. I have my outlets. Well, that's good, but I'm just saying you're missing out. <laughs> well, I should say that's that. that should be a team building experience. It really should be. I was trying to get Zay to do it, and he was like pushing back on me and fighting me everywhere. Like, right, I'm not gonna force this. But when we look, when we think about how your experience is with your clients and your interactions. Could you talk about how that feels different than maybe what some of the other things that you are seeing from the, from the larger corporations out there? Because I think people should know what that is working with, like working with us versus some other larger businesses. Well, I mean, I'm not trying to shame either, but just trying to get no. Uh, but get the, the the idea of, of our size is, you know, we have this great small office staff. So if I can't talk to somebody immediately, I know I can send them to Eddie to get what they need. Yeah. And everybody who I've sold to has my contact and knows they can find me. Um, I always preface it with, I might be on an airplane, right. <laughs> um, but I will get back to you. And, and there are times when I'm just outright can't, can't take care of them, and then I do hand them off to Eddie or even Brittany in the office about something. Um, but it's so small. It's not like they're calling in and punching eight different numbers to find the service department, you know. 
they know who's calling them because I let them know, and they know how to interact with our customers, not just hit number two, hit number five to find service. And then, you know, if you are talking to somebody in service that doesn't know about a dog's shoulder anatomy, that ain't going to do a whole lot of good either no. if they're asking about shoulder pro protocols. So, um, you know, I think that's important. Um, we have been very fortunate in building my, I guess you could say, vet tribe of vets that oh, yeah. they all talk to each other and they share with each other and they learn from each other. And that, you know, I try to create and provide that situation as much as possible. Well, you know, one of the things I've appreciated of how you kind of built this tribe is that we've done numerous podcasts with a couple of different, you know, vet clients. And you're right, it's a peer-to-peer -peer learning thing that you put together, I feel like. Um, when we think about how this should evolve and maybe go forward, like what's your thoughts about, you know, let's say five to seven years from now? Because I know I can't say six months. That's not slow enough. But <laughs> is there have enough outreach for it to kind of really have a, a deep impact? But I'm, I'm curious. Half a decade, I mean, I, I really believe that this shockwave should be or will grow to be the primary shockwave used in veterinary medicine, both in equine and small animal. Um, it's a little harder road in equine hmm. because... Equine practitioners are, are very set in their ways. Yeah. They know what works, and it's hard for them to make change. Hmm. Canine practitioners, they love change. Canine rehab people, it's all about change and doing something different and doing better by this particular animal or this case. Is it because that there's just less data when it comes to small animals? Because equines have been going along for so long. They've had time to kind of get those ways kind of set, and the canine world is still, still just, fresh. Uh, maybe, and I think we're still fighting the equine world from, you know, historic abuse of whether it be shockwave, whether it be modalities, or whether it be drugs. Okay. So horses are worth so much money. Yeah. And you don't understand what somebody will do when a horse is going to the Olympics until you're there and you watch. Wow. You know, and I watched it in 2004. I was at the you know, working, managing the barn where Royal Caliber lived. And he went off to Greece, and he won the gold medal. Wow. And he did not come home. You were at the barn? I, mean, you, you I, were... I was at 100, and I took care of the horses at the barn. And wow. he went. Holly and I were hired to keep the barn going while they went off to the Olympics. Wow. Um, but, you know, the whole world in that level revolves around a living animal that can stumble. They can make a wrong step. They can have a cough. <laughs> yeah. Um, and it's really intense. And I don't think in the dog world we've gotten to that intense level of competition. There is competition, but we're jumping for $100,000 almost every weekend in Wellington. Really? In the Grand Prix. Really? Every weekend? Almost, yeah. I mean, they, they, start, they start at the anywhere from 20000 to 200000 I think, in prize money. Wow. Depending on the week. Impressive. It's a lot of money. So, I, I, and I'm not that educated, so maybe you can help me out here when it comes to this piece of it. But how do people abuse Shockwave in the, in the, in the econ world? Well, Shockwave has an analgesic effect. Mm -hmm. um, and we know it. 
we cannot exactly measure how long that animal, we don't have exact data on how long it is. Um, you know, but if there's something that hurts and you're gonna perform, you need to get rid of the pain. There's goods and bads to that because the pain can be something that's a simple, you know, uh, muscle inflammation, simple muscle inflammation. It's not gonna get seriously damaged or it can be, um, you know, a suspensory ligament that you get rid of the pain and they jump on it, you risk major damage. Yeah. Um, so you have to be really sensitive to the analgesic effect. Okay. Um, okay. You know. And so I see. I see how this plays out. Okay. Yeah. So you're having that temporary pain relief, and you're still pushing. And I, in some cases, you know, it's a. We know exactly what's going on with the animal. It's a little bit of arthritis. You know, they have some changes in their neck, or I mean, there can be reasons. But then there's other reasons where you're, you could be actually killing pain, allowing a horse to stress themselves to an injury. Well, that's tough. Okay. So when we think about, you know, I mean, and before I just leave there, are there laws against that? Like, there, there, so, I've heard things where you can't do shopping, but yeah. So. Yeah, so there are various different laws about it. Um, all meant to avoid it. Um, different associations are different time frames. They just recently put in the HISA, I think they call it HISA rules, in the thoroughbred racehorse industry, and they're not letting you even do a workout on the track within um, 30 days of a shockwave therapy. Oh, wow. Um, which is a long time and probably yeah. extremely excessive. Yeah. Um, whereas uh, there's horse show organizations, I believe it's the USEF, they may want, uh, I think, a week to 10 days, which is reasonable. Okay. And then there is other organizations like the Quarter Horse Organization where there's no regulations. Have you seen the research that would show that that effect could last, that analgesic effect could last for 30 days or even 10 days? I have never seen the analgesic effect last more than three to three days. That's what I've always seen. Okay. Yeah, and so I'm trying. We're trying to find some actual literature research on that. Um, but again, once people do something bad, it carries on. It, it creates an issue that doesn't go away easily. I mean, it's the same thing when we talk about contraindications of shockwave, right? People are still calling the spinal cord a contraindication. Yeah. And it is, in our book, a contraindication. But there's some really amazing research out there that says there's amazing effects. Could you share with them about it? Because now I'm curious. People ask all the time because it's listed. Yeah, so I have a just, to, yeah. yeah, no, I have a, a folder of um, papers on the neurology and spinal cord treatments and stuff. <laughs> and the danger of treating the spinal cord with the shockwave, um, the one paper that I have that talks about that is with rabbits, and it's at 0.6 millijoules per millimeter square. Point six, that's pretty high. It's high. Yeah. It's high. So in the lower... And a rabbit. Yeah. Okay. So again, it's a huge amount of energy in a small animal, and it caused minor demyelinization. Really minor. Yeah, it wasn't tremendous. Um, so I do share that with my neurology users. I say, but look at the energy level. You know, I typically don't recommend 
any veterinarian use much above 0.2 millijoules per million square. Okay, 0.2, okay, yeah. Um, in canine, maybe 0.15 horses, I might go a little higher. Um, but again, you know, once something bad happens. So in the neurology world, there's some knockout, I believe it's knockout mice they're using where they're showing potential for spinal cord regeneration. Wow. There is also some pap a paper about um, peripheral nerve and, and treating the nerves off the spinal cord with stroke patients. Wow. Because if we can keep those nerves firing, then we don't have the long-term effects in the, in the, neuro in the neurology and the and so there's some, I mean, how does it, how does shockwave affect nerves? We have pain pathway, and we have regeneration of nerve cells, and they're two opposite. Yes. And we have substance P. And substance P is what reduces some of the pain off the actual. So we get less substance P in the synapses when you treat with shockwave. So that gives you less uh, pain flow to the brain. I think the big thing about the vet world is the customer-practitioner relationship. Yeah. Because we use, the other thing we do is so much palliative care. Mm -hmm. So you have to make a choice in a senior dog that might have a melanoma, and we don't want to treat cancer with shockwave, but, because it might spread, it might do this, it might do that, all mites, all not exactly documented because nothing's exactly documented right. um, but you know if my dog is in agony yeah. because of his LS disease yeah. and he has lumps all over him that are potentially issues of cancer I choose to treat the dog and get rid of the pain okay. but that's a conversation <laughs> it's my own dog right. and it's a conversation that as a veterinary practitioner you, you can have with an owner when the animal is an emotional support animal or a pet or a pleasure animal. Right. Which a lot of, there are a lot of horses out there that are pleasure horses, so you're going to deal with them differently than the competition. 100%. That makes that's a lot of sense. And you know, we're getting ready to wrap, but I'm going to ask you somewhat of a. Uh oh. <laughs> yeah, it's coming. It's, it's only a matter of time, so let's be honest. <laughs> but, I would love to have this conversation around a little bit of dosage. I mean, it's difficult to, oh, yeah. to really kind of frame this up. I know there's no cookie-cutter way to go about it, but I'm just curious what your clients are doing when it comes to dosage. So we try to express the fact that more is not better. Okay. Um, what? We're in America. More is not better? <laughs> what is our purpose and why are we treating? Yeah. So in most cases, we are treating to turn on mechanical transduction. And we are finding, especially in the canine world, very, very little energy turns on mechanical production. And it's either, from what we know at the moment, it's on or off. Hmm. So, you know, we had, there, is, there is literature saying there's not a whole lot of difference between, I think it was 0.1 and 0.2 millijoules. Mm -hmm. They said it was medium and high energy or low and medium energy in, right. in myofascial work. Um, they get the same results. So are we going to get the same results on a biceps tendon if we treat it at 0.031 millijoules, which is the um, dosage that Dr. Owen used in her cases that just got published? Okay. Or if I treat it at 0.15 millijoules, which is the dosage that the pulse vet papers are on, electrohydraulic papers. They both showed the same re 
very similar results. Yeah. Now, are, can you compare them? Not exactly. But so that's the question. How much do you need to turn on mechanical transduction? Well, and I think another piece of it, and tell me how, how you see this as well. I mean, so you can deliver a lot more energy, but mm. normally they're doing it over a shorter amount of period of sessions, where sometimes we're looking at doing a lower dose over more sessions. And we're kind of approaching that, I feel like, from different angles, but you mean, but... Well, I think, it's, yes, different angles, different, um, different purposes. Yeah. Is it totally for pain relief, or is it for regenerating tissue yeah. and healing? Okay. Okay, and those are two very different... Okay. Yeah. They're very... So there's no, there's no exact right or wrong. Um, it's very difficult to measure yes. dose in shockwave, right? All yeah. of our measurements come from shockwave and water. Yeah. How do we measure energy passing through tissue? How do we measure, you know, some devices have larger, quote, focal zone, but how do we measure that in tissue? Yeah. We don't know yeah. how. I wish we could yeah. better. We can measure it. with. We've done a pretty decent job on the laser side, but but on the shockwave side. But laser, you can't tell how deep it's going to penetrate the tissue, right? I mean, that's hard to... Well, there are some studies that, that, okay. that they, where they have, I actually had an equine guru from Italy who actually put sensors in a horse oh, wow. did some crazy stuff um, Damiano but you know, it's not black and white yeah it's not black and white um, but it's even grayer and harder with a shock wave because it's just pressure waves how the hell do we measure pressure waves um, that are 60 millimeters deep inside a horse's back yeah. or a horse's sacral area more things to happen in the future, Cindy. This is, this, this is a good conversation. We have to do this more often. I mean, if you would stop hanging up on me, maybe we can do... If you answered days. the phone. <laughs> no, but honestly, um, as we kind of wrap up, any other um, like things that are happening next year or any other workshops coming up, any wit labs you guys are doing? I know you guys do a lot of it, you know, education. Well, our new website was put up a couple months ago, okay. so we're trying to keep all of our podcasts user monthly user forums um ce courses up there i'm hoping to have a couple new ce courses in the next few months so one on stifles and one on um just the ongoing literature and what is out there you know because there's a lot out there um so i think dr broadhurst is talking about putting together Kind of a summary of the literature oh, and wow. what it's shown us and what you know what can we take away from a clinical trial what's valuable what do we have to step aside and look other for sure you know so. well what we'll put some links to the brand new website below um and i'm sure you have courses coming up next year a lot of activities you guys are going to be hopefully not planning on slowing down right <laughs> you don't need sleep i don't need to sleep yeah. it's overrated no i know we're planning on growing our our uh our vet team so that I don't have to do quite as much. No need. Just one woman show is all you need. You're, you're totally fine. <laughs> but with that being said, Cindy, honestly, it was great having you on the show. No, thanks for the time. Thanks for helping us. Of course.